The wildly successful viral ad campaign for the Squatty Potty is unconventional, even for a decade that brought us the Ice Bucket Challenge, a Cubs World Series, and Donald Trump as president. If you're one of the tens of millions of people who have seen this inexplicably outlandish video, it's unlikely you'll ever forget it. This is where your ice cream comes from. Oh, the creamy poop of a mystic unicorn. The Squatty Potty product itself is a simple platform, a stool, designed to position your legs in a way that relieves constipation while you're sitting on the toilet. And to a conventional marketing agency, an account like this one is a nightmare come true. After all, how in the world are you even going to get anybody to take you seriously, let alone pay attention to your value proposition? Traditionally, it's the kind of product doomed to the cringe-inducing 3AM infomercial. And no marketer wants to be left holding the product management responsibilities on that. But to the Utah-based Harmon Brothers Creative Agency, the Squatty Potty presented not a Gordian knot of social taboos and suppressed embarrassments, but an opportunity. Channeling millennial sensibilities and the still-emerging power of social media video, their resulting promotion is a colorful acid trip of rainbow-colored unicorns who excrete ice cream from that orifice, outlandish characters in set design, and of course, fourth-grade toilet humor. Soft serve straight from a sphincter. But Harmon Brothers CEO Benton Crane says that video, universally recognized as the most successful viral ad campaign of all time, almost didn't happen. Initially, they told us no. They thought it was just absolute brand suicide to put a pooping unicorn on their brand. In this episode, Benton shares the tale of how the Harmon Brothers and their poop jokes have driven a billion and a half video views and more than $350 million in sales by seeing gold where everyone else just sees a regular old turd. And in the process, they've forever changed the internet and the field of marketing. I'm Dusty Weiss from PodCamp Media. This is Lead Balloon, a podcast about PR, marketing, and branding nightmares and the well-meaning communications professionals who lived them. Thanks for tuning in. I like to think that we have a pretty healthy appreciation for the absurd on this show, but this is definitely one episode that is really out there, and I love it, and I think you will too. But before we dig in, please do make sure that you're subscribed to Lead Balloon in your favorite podcast app. Follow PodCamp Media on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn to see what else we've got going on. And if you leave me a review on iTunes, I will read it on the show. Like this review from KO Nation, who says, I love the idea and the mission of the podcast. We all make mistakes, and that's okay. The editing makes me feel like I'm right in the PodCamp Media studios, which is awesome, KO Nation, except for that right now, for the duration of COVID, PodCamp Media is based wholly in my basement. And I would not wish a studio visit on my worst enemy. I do, however, hope to be announcing some news on that front in short order, so stay tuned for that. So I think it's a pretty common fear, or an aversion at least, for professional communicators to have this dread of working an account like the Squatty Potty. After all, marketing is the domain of madmen, million-dollar Coca-Cola spots, Matthew McConaughey's soliloquy on elegance while he's driving his Lincoln. Johnny Depp incoherently hocking some cologne in a 60-second black-and-white art film. This field is traditionally about big brands and big prestige. So, for a lot of agencies, 
the fear of being stuck forever with the quote-unquote boring products would probably prevent them from taking work from a company that specializes in stools that help you poop. But not so at Harmon Brothers, the Provo, Utah-based ad agency that chooses humor and creativity over prestige and elegance. So to start with, I asked their CEO how the firm found itself so uniquely positioned in this business. Obviously, I'm not one of the brothers. My name is Benton Crane, uh, but I am a cousin. So I grew up close to the Harmon brothers, the ones with the last name Harmon, particularly Jeff Harmon. He and I are a month apart. And so we grew up from the time we were we were knee high. We were best buddies and also uh, rivals. And uh, we, we had plenty of fisticuffs throughout our years growing up. So we kind of created a relationship where we could disagree, duke it out, and then uh, five minutes later be ready to go grab lunch together. And, uh, and that, that type of re- relationship has kind of served us well in business. We have a pretty high level of trust, but yet we also have a high level of candor where we can disagree, see things from different points of view, and still come out the other side just fine. That's very rare in the business world, and, and I hope you recognize just how fortunate you are to have that. Yeah, I think uh, we didn't realize how rare it was until, uh, you know, we had a handful of disagreements in the office around people who didn't grow up with us. You know, the team members, you know, who have joined since and they kind of saw things get heated between us for a minute. And and they kind of had this moment of fear, like, is, you know, is everything about to end? You know, is, 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 the, is the partnership falling apart here? But then, you know, we, we go through our disagreement and then hey, you want to go grab a burger? And, and we're, we're good to go. And so the, the team has kind of gotten used to seeing that dynamic and, and being okay with it. What about your background sparked this interest and in, I'm going to be honest, a complete and total knack for making these weird, hilarious videos? I, I, whenever I meet somebody who's in a creative pursuit like this, I kind of, I assume, okay, they probably made indie films when they were in college, or they were probably involved in improv classes. What what was the creative spark that really drives some of this just weird creativity that just oozes from every orifice at Harmon Brothers? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. So, admittedly, the Harmon Brothers are much more creative than I am. We all grew up poor, but they grew up really poor, and they kind of had to learn to entertain themselves at a really young age without having the toys and, and the bikes and all the things that, you know, most kids typically grow up with. Instead, you know, they would entertain themselves with cardboard boxes and pieces of paper. And I remember going and visiting and they would build these elaborate marble courses um, just, just out of paper <laughs> and tape and, and cardboard. You know, they're the type of courses that you now see YouTube videos made out of. Of course, there was no one to film it back then, but they were making these elaborate courses, you know, all over the house and, and really developing this high level of creativity. And that really came out when they did the Aura Brush campaign. Just as every superhero has their origin story, the Harmon brothers owe the existence of their business to a chance meeting with a retired biochemist. Robert Wagstaff, affectionately known as Dr. Bob, was the inventor of the Aura Brush, 
That's a funny shaped little toothbrush designed specifically for cleaning off your tongue and sold as a remedy for bad breath. Dr. Bob tells ABC News that he tried to market these things for the better part of a decade and, not shockingly, Americans weren't pounding down the door to add yet another step to their personal hygiene routines. We actually put it in stores and sit, stand and watch people and they would walk right by it just like it wasn't even there. Baffled, poor old Dr. Bob dug a little bit deeper still into his own pockets shelling out 40 grand to produce and air a traditional late-night infomercial to hack his product. It was 2009. The infomercial sold something like eight brushes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just a, it was a total flop. And so kind of in desperation, he took it to a marketing class at the local university, BYU. And as a term project, there was a group of students who took it and did research on the Aura Brush. And on the last day of class, they delivered the report that said, our research shows us that only 8% of people would be willing to buy an Aura Brush online. Therefore, we don't think you should sell this online. And Jeff Harmon was sitting at the back of the classroom and he raised his hand and he said, 8% is millions and millions of people. Why don't you just focus on them? And Dr. Bob, the inventor, was in the room and... He was like, can I talk to you after class? <laughs> and, and so Jeff and Dr. Bob connected, and Dr. Bob didn't have any money to pay Jeff, and so he gave him a, an old motorcycle in exchange for his services. And Jeff came in and made this two-and-a-half-minute YouTube ad for Aura Brush. The smart viewer out there will note, to check your bad breath, you notice that we checked our tongue. 90% of bad breath comes from bacteria and residue on the tongue. On your tongue. And the timing was just perfect because Google had just purchased YouTube, and prior to that point, it, it had never been an ad platform. It was just a, you know, viral video platform where people shared their cat videos and stuff. And they wanted to turn it into an ad platform. And Aura Brush was one of the first ads ever to air on on YouTube, and the interesting thing about it was that it was this two and a half minute long ad that everyone was saying, that will never work. You can't do a two and a half minute ad. It either has to be like a full on infomercial and run you know, half hour spots on television, or it needs to be a 30 second spot. But Jeff reached out to YouTube and he asked, can you give me a skip button so that people can choose for themselves whether or not they want to watch this ad? And YouTube was like, yeah, let's try it. You know, they just, they kind of had a startup mentality of like, yeah, let's just test and see what works. And so they, they built the skip button that to this day, when you go watch a YouTube video, you know, you, you still see that skip button. I don't think anyone knew it at the time, but now looking back over a decade later, I personally believe that was one of the biggest innovations in advertising in decades, probably, because I can't think of anything else that has shifted the balance of power more if you think about it, historically, advertisers used to be able to force feed us whatever crap they wanted to show us. And it was crap. A lot of it was, right? And, and they just assumed, you know, we have a captive audience. We'll show them whatever we want to show them. and They'll just have to deal with it. And commercial breaks were miserable experiences because of that. But that tiny little button shifted the power into the hands of the viewer and now all of a sudden, advertisers are forced to create something that people actually want to watch. And not only do they watch it, but then they comment on it. They share it. They, they talk to their friends about it. And of course, that's what led to things like 
our poopery campaign and squatty potty and purple mattresses and chat books, you know, these ads that have scaled businesses by tens of millions of dollars. It's all a function of giving people something that they actually want to watch. And, and it's brilliant in that way. And, and of course the Paul Harvey rest of the story here is that you guys at Harmon brothers have carved out a pretty prime niche for your business by making really creative and I'm going to say it really weird ads that go viral on Facebook. Your most well-known work has got to be the viral ad campaign for the Squatty Potty, which most people my age, our age, have seen it, but I have listeners that probably haven't, and so I'll try to describe it briefly. There's an animatronic unicorn who poops out Rainbow Sherbert and is suffering from constipation, and finds her relief in the squatty potty, a little stool that helps elevate her legs into a better position for evacuation. That's because our bodies were made to poop in a squat, and now there's a product that lets you squat in your own home. Introducing the Squatty Potty. No, Squatty Potty is not a joke. And yes, it will give you the best poop of your life, guaranteed. Other well-known spots have included poopery, chat books. More recently, I was a big fan of the Ladder Luchador uh, campaign, which cracked me up. And uh, this new office takeover spot for Profits Unlimited, which I'm going to ask you about in a little bit. But lest anyone who's unfamiliar with your work should attempt to scoff right now, over the course of seven years, your work has delivered 1.5 B billion views and $350 million in sales for your heretofore low-profile clients. <laughs> yeah, the, the, those are conservative estimates. But. Conservative estimates. Good, good. There's no science to going viral. I would posit that it's an art form. So taking in the entire body of your work, how would you describe the style at Harmon Brothers? Well, I'd probably start by refuting what you just said about there being no science behind it and it's an art form. Actually, the reality, if you peel back the curtains, is that it's science meets art. I was always told that science and art didn't interact well, so I'm, I'm taking notes here. So, by trade, I am an economist and a statistician. I'm a numbers geek. I'm a spreadsheet geek. In fact, I started my career in Washington, D.C. Um, as a statistician at the Census Bureau, and then later I worked in the intelligence community as a data analyst. And when the brothers left Brush to do the Poopery campaign was the, uh, was the first one that we did. Uh, that was back in 2013. Poopery, in case you're unfamiliar with the product, is a treatment for toilet water that's designed to suppress the smell of your bodily functions. Once again, not exactly a product that the Madison Avenue agencies were tripping over themselves to land as an account. Simply spritz poopery in the bowl to create a film on the water's surface that actually traps the odors in their porcelain prison. And when your little astronauts splash down and make contact with the film, they release poopery's pleasant aromas. But the Harmon brothers were finding their niche and looking for someone with a solid business sense to help them grow their brand. They needed a data geek to come help them test all of their creative assumptions. So that's why I joined the team. And that was when we founded Harmon Brothers. So there was four of us, Daniel, Neil, and Jeff were the three brothers and then myself. And what we created was this really interesting marriage where you come up with a creative idea 
and then you test it using data. And you take that data and you say, what is it teaching us? And then you feed that back into the creative process and you adjust your creative ideas and then you test again. And then you rinse and repeat this cycle over and over and over again. And so every campaign that we put out into the wild, people don't realize it, but there are literally hundreds of tests that go on behind the scenes to find out, are we doing this right? And that's where, you know, people come to us and they say, hey, can you make us a viral video? But the reality is that virality is completely random. It's unpredictable. You can't plan on virality. There's no recipe that says if you do A, B, C, and D, you're going to go viral. You can do things that might raise your chances, but you cannot predict virality. Anyone who tells you that you can, run away from them because by <laughs> nature, virality is, is, is random. But yet, if you look at the results of our campaigns where they're consistently driving millions and millions of dollars in sales for our clients, getting hundreds of millions of views on these campaigns, that's not by accident. It's not by random nature. It's not by luck. It's actually through this marriage of art and science that we test and then we create and then we test and create, test and create over and over and over again until we find what resonates and what works. And I love that approach. I think that there's, uh, there's really something to that because, because it's possible to be creative and scientific at the same time. It's just not common, common. That's the word that I was searching for. But if I was going to apply adjectives to the style of the videos that Harmon brothers creates mm -hmm. absurdist, uh, surrealist, irreverent, uh, rooted in internet meme culture and, and very millennial in its sensibilities. And okay. it's, it's advertising that just makes sense to a generation that grew up watching adult swim cartoons on the cartoon network. Is that intentional or is that a result of this process that you have of refining your ideas and targeting a millennial audience? I would say it's more of a result of the process because here's the thing. Ultimately, what it comes down to is that in order to sell, you have to entertain. And it's only through entertaining that you can hold somebody's attention long enough to actually convince them to do something or to buy something or to donate to a cause. Whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, you can't get there unless you have somebody's attention and you can't have their attention unless you entertain them. And so we are always thinking about how do we entertain? And then once we entertain, how do we convince? You know, there's education, there's building credibility, there's overcoming concerns, there's all of these things that happen on the sales side, on the education side, but none of that matters if we can't entertain. And, and so to your question of why do we end up with these things that are, <laughs> I liked the word you used, absurdist, it, it's because we know that we have to create something that's so fun that you will voluntarily spend your time on it in a world where you scroll through your Facebook and you have literally limitless content that you can spend your time on. So you cited the poo-pourri campaign as sort of the defining moment for the agency where you guys realized, hey, not only can we do this and are we good at it, but it's possible to be very profitable while doing this. 
I remember where I was the first time I saw the poopery spot. I was sitting at work, scrolling through my Facebook feed like you're not supposed to when you're on the clock. And I came across this ad and I was at once appalled and entertained. I didn't want to look, but I did. And I was almost overcome with this sense of caught with your hand in the cookie jar shame with if anybody walks up behind me and sees me watching this, they're going to have some questions. You would not believe the mother loader I just dropped. And that's how I like to keep it. Leaving not a trace that I was ever here, let alone that I just birthed a creamy behemoth from my cavernous bowels. A lot of your early subject matter dealt with some pretty taboo subjects. Why do you think that there was such a value in breaking these taboos? So, Poopery was the first campaign um, that we did. And I had just left a career at Deloitte. It's a very prestigious consulting firm. And I, uh, I had a great career working in the intelligence community. And I uprooted my family and moved across the country to sell poop spray at, <laughs> at Poopery. And oddly enough, the very first people, when, that, when, we, uh, when we got that video ready, the first people I showed it to were my in-laws. They were so utterly appalled by it. They did not, they did not even crack a smile. Um, they didn't laugh at all. I think we were like two minutes in and I finally just turned it off. And I was like, if you haven't laughed yet, you're not going to. <laughs> and, and that was a moment where I was sitting there going, what have I just done with my life and my career? It was petrifying. But then we went live with the video and the reaction was exactly the opposite of my in-laws. It was a smash hit. It resonated with people in amazing ways where historically the subject of poo stink had been so taboo and so many people had grown up in families where it's just something that you don't talk about. You pretend like it doesn't exist. And particularly for women, it was extra taboo. So I think our willingness to dive right into that, to make fun of it, if it's safe for us to do this, then it's safe for you to joke about this with your friends or talk about this subject. In fact, we cast that redheaded British woman specifically because we thought that a proper British woman, someone who you would expect to see at like a tea party or something, mm -hmm. she would be the last person on earth who you would ever expect to say those things. Whether you need to pinch a loaf at work, cut a rope at a party, or lay a brick at your boyfriends, your days of embarrassing smells or prairie dogging it are over. And so the theory was that if we could make it safe for her to say those things, then it could be safe for you and I to talk about that. The world was just ready to break down that barrier, and to break down that taboo. And so it just hit a chord and it resonated in amazing ways. So fast forward two years now, Squatty Potty is, I think renowned is the wrong word, but it's your most high profile success. This is where your ice cream comes from. Oh. The creamy poop of a mystic unicorn. They're good at pooping. But you know who sucks at pooping? You do. I went, to, <laughs> I went to a concert at Wrigley Field in Chicago, not long after that ad campaign started. And I stayed with my brother-in-law and his at-the-time girlfriend in Wrigleyville there because it was close and we could walk and, mm -hmm. and all that. And I remember the morning after the show, I went in to use their bathroom 
and parked next to the John was a squatty potty. And my reaction at the time was no less than delight. Here's this little plastic stool that is that is nothing special by any accounts. And I had to take it for a test drive. Of course. Like, I wasn't not going to try the squatty potty. And then I came flying out of that bathroom and I said, Fred, you've got a squatty potty, dude. That's so cool. Does that surprise you? Like, what? It's a stool that you put your feet on while you poop. It did. <laughs> it did surprise me in the beginning because, quite frankly, when they came to us, their customer base was 55-year-old plus women who were constipated, and all of their customers would buy it and then they would hide it in the master bathroom so that they never had to talk about it with anyone. They didn't want a guest to see it. It was so embarrassing that they had to have this stool next to their toilet that they would never want to talk about that with anyone. And so once again, we had to break down a taboo subject and break down barriers. And once again, we looked for how can we make this safe? How can we make it okay for people to talk about? When you sit on a porcelain throne, this muscle gets a kink in the hose and stops the Ben and Jerry's from sliding out smoothly. The spot's complete with a cartoon animation of the process. But because it's a unicorn and rainbow soft serve, it's not quite as gross as it could be. And seriously, unicorn hemorrhoids? The glitter gets everywhere. It was actually Jeff Harmon who came up with the idea to use ice cream as a metaphor for poop. And the thinking was, what is the last, like, what is the furthest thing on earth from poop? You know, poop is disgusting, it's smelly, it's stinky, it's horrific. And ice cream is the opposite of all of those things. It's delicious, it's tasty. Everything about ice cream is amazing. And then the, the subject went to... Okay, well, if we're going to use ice cream, what does the ice cream come out of? And of course, we're theorizing, you know, all, all these, these different possibilities. And we quickly realized that it can't be rooted in reality because anything that's rooted in reality is gross. I would argue that it's still a little bit gross to have it come out of a unicorn's butt. But, <laughs> but it worked. It worked. Right. Uh, and, and so the, the thinking was, let's go as far from reality as possible. So of course, Unicorn, it's a mythical character. But even then, if you went back through our creative process that we went through, you would both laugh and be appalled at some of the concepts that, <laughs> that, that we worked on. At one point, the Unicorn was going to be a massive, like Clydesdale-sized Unicorn horse on the back of a food truck, you know, parked on a, on a street corner in New York City. And we would have a, you know, a vendor there piping ice cream out of the butt of this giant Clydesdale unicorn serving it to kids on the, on the corner in New York City. And I look back at that, and I'm like, oh man, that was a horrific, <laughs> that, was, that was terrible. But it was through that process that we kept honing and refining. And one of our writers, Dave Vance, he is the one who brought the medieval prince and this fairy tale setting put the unicorn in that setting and that's what kind of completed all the pieces to take us out of reality and make sure that everything your eyes see on screen is safe. There's nothing gross that you see on screen, but everything your ears hear is pretty terrible, right? You're talking about a really, really taboo thing. It was one thing to talk about poo stink with poopery, but with Squatty Potty, we were talking about the biomechanics of how it happens, which is like infinitely more gross. Mm -hmm. But because we took you so far outside of reality, we could make it safe. I stream, you stream, and plop, plop, baby. 
So the Harmon brothers had their concept for the Squatty Potty Spot, a wisecracking prince and a magical unicorn pooping out rainbow ice cream. And selling that idea to the client would prove to be the agency's biggest challenge yet. So coming up after the break, the high-stakes gamble that got them from concept to creation. Plus, Benton Crane redefines other duty as assigned. Here I am, um, the CEO of the agency, but everyone on set is nicknamed me Buttwipe. That's coming up in a minute on Lead Balloon. This is Lead Balloon, and I'm Dusty Weiss. About a decade ago, I was a reporter and news anchor in Miami, Florida, and I was thinking about making the transition to a career in public relations and marketing. So I emailed a family friend, Jim Schleter, the now-retired vice president of communications at Boeing. A former journalist himself, Jim wrote me back some advice that would shape the trajectory of my career to this day. If you feel like your company is making a difference and is challenging you, I think it satisfies the urge in us journalists to make something happen in your life. As for me, I don't think I could work at a consumer products company or agency promoting the next version of toothpaste or interest-bearing checking accounts. Preparing for my interview with Harmon Brothers CEO Benton Crane made me think back to that advice from Jim. So I dialed him up to revisit the topic. <laughs> That's nothing against interest-bearing checking accounts and dog food and other things that get promoted. But for me personally, and, and knowing you like I know you, that if you found the field that really made a difference for you, participating in that field in communications, whichever version that is, it could be a very rewarding experience for you. And that's something I didn't learn when I was in college. And if you if you can find a calling, if you can find a job where on those good days, you can't believe they're paying you to do this for a living, it, it really helps for those days where they can't pay you enough for what you're going through. <laughs> Serious. Jim was right about me. And I think this holds true for a lot of people who go into PR and marketing. We want to do work that feels important to us. And that means different things for different people. It can be a big personal connection. It can be big prestige. It can be big exposure. But the pool of people for whom a tongue brush, poop spray, or a toilet stool hold that sort of appeal is limited. It's not a dream assignment for most professional communicators. And for some, I'd go so far as to call it a nightmare. But for the Harmon Brothers Agency, the Squatty Potty account was just another chance to work their own patented brand of creative magic. In this case, a two and a half minute YouTube video featuring a unicorn who needed help pooping out ice cream. So you guys built and refined this concept in-house. And then you took it to a fellow by the name of Bobby Edwards, who owned the Squatty Potty Company, along with his adorable elderly parents and you had to pitch them this idea how confident were you going into that pitch take me inside the room when you told them what you wanted to do with their brand so they had seen poopery of course and they loved poopery in fact bobby's reaction was this should have been us um he was upset that poopery found us before he did and so he came to us asking for a proposal, and he was already a fan. He was a believer. He wanted to do something wild like that. But his parents didn't see the vision. His investors didn't see the vision. His board didn't see the vision. 
But we were kind of oblivious to that. So honestly, we walked in, pitched them this idea of the unicorn, and we just kind of had full confidence that it would be awesome. And Bobby was the only one of the group who caught the vision. And so initially they told us no. They thought it was just absolute brand suicide to put a pooping unicorn on their brand. And so the investors and the board told Bobby, no way, no how. So we thought that was the end of it. But a few months later, Bobby came back to us and said, hey, guys, let's do it. I'm ready to go. He didn't tell us at the time, but he did that behind the back of his board and his investors. He just knew that it was right and that it was the winning move to make. And so he put his neck out on the line, literally. Like he, he was the CEO going against his, his board and his investors. And if he had gotten it wrong, that would have been the end of his career at Squatty Potty. We were totally oblivious to that. We didn't know any of it. So we were just like, cool, we get to build the unicorn. And so we dove in and, and went to work. And it was actually three days before launch, Bobby pulled me aside and he was like, Benton, this has to work because if it doesn't, I am so screwed. No pressure. And so that was when I, I dug in, I found out like, oh wait, your, your board didn't approve this. The investors don't know about this. And, and so then for the, like the next 72 hours, he's so nervous that he's just sick. Um, and then I'm getting so nervous that I'm sick. And I'm like, what have we done here? Were you on set for the taping of the, uh, of, of the Squatty Potty spot? I, I was, in fact. It, so when we piped, so it was actually frosting, not ice cream, because ice cream will melt under the, under the hot lights. And so we, and we used frosting. And as we would pipe that frosting through the butt of the unicorn, between each take, somebody had to wipe the unicorn's butt to get it all clean. <laughs> and, uh, and that was my job. And so I was, I was sitting there with wipes and between each take, I would wipe that unicorn's butt. And so here I am, um, you know, the CEO of the agency, but everyone on set is nicknamed me butt wipe. <laughs> that's uh, hey, you know, that's uh, there's something to be said for a CEO that's willing to, uh, stand out on the front lines and, uh, take one for the team like that. I, I speaking as a, a, a former film school wannabe for a three minute infomercial, that's a pretty elaborate piece of world building. Uh, the set, the costumes, the props, the animatronic unicorn who designed that and and how and how did you bring that from vision to fruition yeah so there is a um, character slash puppeteer artist in salt lake named chris hansen he in fact he's done work in a lot of hollywood films um, hellboy is one that comes to mind and he actually has a pretty long list of of films that he's done work in incredibly talented guy so he made the unicorn, and Daniel, our chief creative officer, Daniel Harmon, you know, he was the creative director on that one, and so he guided the design of the unicorn. And it was really fascinating how it morphed from, like I told you, we were thinking like Clydesdale-looking unicorn, you know, big old horse, and it morphed into almost gerbil unicorn. Like, you, you go look at it, and it looks more gerbil than it does horse, and that was Daniel's artistic touch on that in in terms of refining it into something that's very cute very approachable very lovable and you know very cartoon-esque the big eyes and and whatnot was it hard on set to coach the talent and the crew through what was 
clearly an absurd and ridiculous script. Like, how how did you get people to keep a straight face on that set? Is there a blooper reel of people just losing it? Over and over and over again. So the prince, Wes Tolman, um, he was just, he, he was phenomenal. He, he went into character and, you know, the prince is almost like borderline douchey, um, but kind of oblivious to it. And Wes was able to go into that character and just nail it. And so, man, Wes would just deliver these lines and then everybody on set is just like, just like holding it in, holding it in, holding it in, waiting for uh, waiting for the director to yell cut so that everybody could just bust up laughing. And that just happened over and over and over again. It was, it was hilarious. Pooping will never be the same. And neither will ice cream. The internet seemed to agree. Squatty Potty's spot went viral on Facebook and YouTube, racking up hundreds of millions of views. Commercial made an especially large splash, so to speak, among the millennial cohort. And as an avowed millennial, I can tell you that yes, it did come up at parties. The video also won a Webby Award in 2016, which celebrates viral internet successes. And the brand ran up untold sales. It's now renowned as the most successful company to ever emerge from the TV show Shark Tank. You can find Squatty Potty everywhere from Bed Bath & Beyond, that's the high-end bamboo model, mind you, to Target and Walmart. Not so bad for a poop joke with high production value. And the Harmon Brothers, well, the agency has grown to include dozens of creatives, an online school for marketing techniques, and a growing portfolio of new clients. Let's fast forward it uh, a little bit now. You've recently trotted out a new campaign, the Office Crasher character, mm -hmm. who comes in, lampoons this stuffy, greedy investment advisor. Um, again, investment advisors, not exactly something that marketing people are pushing and shoving to land the investment advisor account. Mm -hmm. It's what you would typically, traditionally, consider a, a boring client. Uh, you guys have been doing this for years now. Take me through your process as you applied it to this new campaign and, and how you wound up where you did. So, um, you know, the, the client is Banyan Hill and the product is called Profits Unlimited, which is basically a subscription service that basically has a professional investor send you a newsletter that tells you exactly what trades he's making and when he's making them. And so it, it makes it so that a non-sophisticated investor, if they want to, they can just pull out their Robinhood app or their E-Trade app or whatever, and they can just follow along and just buy and sell the, the same stocks that the professional does. It's a really valuable service, but it's one where it's like, it's such a noisy, crowded market that's so hard to find any credibility in, meaning like the levels of skepticism in that market are just off the charts. And so the challenge in this case is we say, okay, if we're going to overcome that skepticism, we're going to have to spend a significant amount of time building credibility around this and making it believable, making it something that you would go, oh yeah, uh, I can give this a try. And, and so to do that, once again, we're like, okay, if we can catch your attention and hold it for long enough, then we can probably overcome concerns and build credibility around this highly, highly skeptical marketplace. And that's where this idea of 
you know, this, you know, almost like everyday funny guy takes over the office of a rich, out of touch financial advisor. And of course, the financial advisor is like out hunting rare white rhinos that are going extinct. And he's out of touch, living on his yacht and that sort of thing. And meanwhile, we're able to break in a, into his office and kind of take over his office and have fun doing that. So that's kind of the entertaining side of it. And then the education side of it comes in where we spend the time to build the credibility and overcome those concerns. So even though it's only a $4 per month product, like that's super cheap, the barrier to actually convince people to try it is very high. And that's why we needed that high level of entertainment. What fascinates me about the Harmon Brothers is their record for reliably producing viral results. A buddy of mine who works at an ad agency likes to vent about this sometimes. He'll have clients walk into his office and say, I want you to make me a viral video. And he has to pump the brakes and say, no, you want me to make you a video, and then you want that video to go viral. And in order to get that video to go viral, we're going to have to take some risks, do something unconventional, and possibly get outside your comfort zone here. So... Have you had clients approach the Harmon Brothers before to say, hey, make us a viral video, and you go to them and you say, here's a great idea for how your video can go viral. And they go, whoa, slow down there. That's that's a little too much. Without a doubt. So honestly, pretty much every single campaign that we do, there are ideas that are too much. <laughs> where, where kind of the client and everyone in the room is like, Yep, that probably crosses a line somewhere. And, and you know, we always, we always say you can't know where the line is if you don't ever cross it. But because we have our testing methodology, we can find out very early in the process when we've crossed the line and then we can back up. But yeah, you're, you're right. Some companies, you know, think they want this, but yet they don't have the, have the risk tolerance and the stomach to handle, you know, a pooping unicorn or something wild like that. But honestly... Clients who come to us, they kind of know what they're signing up for. And um, in fact, I can remember uh, when we did the Chatbooks campaign, um, Nate Quigley, the, the CEO of, of Chatbooks, I remember we came out of the writing retreat and we had the script and concept and we were all really excited about it. They were pumped. We were pumped. We knew we had a really solid start. But Nate actually reached out and he said, guys, can you crank it up even higher? He goes, I need you to turn it up to 11. And, uh, and we were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> now like that, we're talking. Yeah, like when a client comes to you and asks you to turn it up to 11, that, that is, you know, that, that's just music to your ears. And so I think if anyone's familiar with Chatbooks ad, there's this scene where there's like a 10 or 11-year-old boy. You know, he's the, the son of the, of the main character. The main character is this, you know, mom who lives in this chaotic uh, you know, real mom scenario where everything is just, you know, going crazy. And, and anyways, this kid puts on his, uh, his shoulder pads and his helmet, and then he grabs an umbrella and goes up on the roof and, you know, jumps off the roof thinking that this umbrella is going to make him fly. It was a fun little gag because it was rooted in reality. The Daniel, Daniel Harmon had actually tried that as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of this like relatable moment where, you know, everyone who's been a 10-year-old boy can kind of relate to this idea of like, hey, you know, I'm invincible and I can fly with, with my umbrella. And so 
we created that stunt where this kid actually jumps off the roof, and that was a direct result of Nate asking us to turn it up to 11. Jeffrey, get off the roof. Okay. Woo. In a lot of ways, you guys have been on the leading edge of a broader trend in marketing that we've seen play out over the last decade here. You guys were some of the pioneers. You were some of the first to go out there and take this absurdist, fun angle with marketing. But a lot of the big East Coast agencies are now moving into that space, too. You don't need to click through too many commercials on TV to see that commercials are getting weirder and more fun. Does that concern you? I listened to a a podcast that you did recently where you said that when you see a company do well early on, they very often then take that success and get complacent with you. I don't worry about Harmon Brothers getting complacent, but in the next decade, how do you see yourselves continuing to stay on that leading edge and continuing to push the boundaries? Yeah. So if you think about it, most of our viewing habits have shifted to streaming, so Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO, Hulu, Disney Plus, and most of these don't have commercial breaks. Most of the the viewing that we do nowadays is commercial free, and from a viewer perspective, that's awesome. That's amazing. From an advertiser's perspective, that's a really scary proposition. Oh, that's end of the world kind of stuff. Yeah, and so if you think about it, there are multi-billion-dollar brands all over the world who are really nervous about how they're going to be able to continue to reach us. And it's my personal belief and our personal belief here at Harmon Brothers that the worlds of entertainment and the worlds of advertising are going to continue to melt into each other in very fun, oftentimes imperceptible and very natural ways. So for example, The product placement industry right now is absolutely booming. When you see a Coke can sitting on the table in a Netflix show, you better believe that Coke paid to have that Coke can placed there. Or when you see Chevrolet cars being driven, you better believe that Chevrolet paid to, you know, to have their cars in that show. That's an industry that's absolutely booming right now. But we believe that there is so much room for innovation in finding new and fun ways to integrate brands and entertainment into one. And so we actually have, one of our teams is working on a television show right now. We're, We're making our first television show because we believe that we have to be world class storytellers and world class entertainers to have a future in this industry. And so we're we're going to always have teams working on ads and we're going to have teams working on shows and over time we'll probably find ways where those two worlds melt together in really cool ways and we believe that's the future and so more power to the Madison Avenue agencies who are uh, you know finally catching on that you have to give people something they want to watch uh, I think that only moves the whole industry in a good direction absolutely and and to that end that's certainly an attitude that is at the heart of what I do at PodCamp Media as well, where I don't think that the way to people's hearts is annoying them with ads. I would rather produce podcasts that they want to listen to and use that as a vehicle for marketing. And 
I know that that is a tactic that you guys have recently delved into at Harmon Brothers as well. The Poop to Gold podcast is a pet project of yours. Tell me, how's that going? What do you like about it? It's fantastic. So the, the theme is that every successful person has had to go through their own poop moments to come out with gold on the other side. Of course, the name is a, you know, it's a cheeky callback to our, our heritage of working on things like poopery and Squatty Potty. But in the show, we uncover these stories that entrepreneurs go through and the things they have to overcome to become successful. Well, it's a fun listen. I tuned in a little bit uh, as I was researching this podcast and Poop to Gold, highly recommend. Definitely worth checking out. But whether it's a poop to gold moment or a lead balloon, I, I feel like I've found my kindred spirits on the Great Salt Lake. I've long admired your work. It's been a pleasure to get to pick your brains here today on Lead Balloon. From the Harmon Brothers in Provo, Utah, CEO Benton Crane, thanks for joining us on Lead Balloon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I've also got to thank Jim Schleter, the retired VP of Communications for Boeing, for multiple trips to the well on advice over the course of my career as well as for sharing his insight for this particular episode of the podcast. With a squatty potty. I mean, how in the world would you be able to promote that in a world that didn't have viral videos? You got to have people truly not only understanding the content, but understanding the delivery vehicles in, in the world we're in now. And maybe even what happened in what they did in 2015 has got to be updated least adjusting to the world of 2020 going into 2021 because well even without COVID in our world five years is 25 years it's 30 it's an entire generation it's a life cycle you you know know, that's why (laughs) that's why I'm glad I'm where I am and you're where you are and I can go watch (laughs) what you guys are doing as I understand it Jim is thoroughly enjoying his retirement and the extra time with family He's got a really worthy project underway with his adult son, Alex. You should check it out. His son is diagnosed autistic, and he has tremendous talent as an artist. At alextheartist.com, they showcase his work and strive to promote awareness and understanding of the autism disorder. That's alextheartist.com. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Lead Balloon, which is produced by PodCamp Media, where we provide branded podcast production solutions for businesses. Check out our website, podcampmedia.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We bring you new tales from the world of PR and marketing disasters each month, so please make sure that you are subscribed to Lead Balloon in your favorite podcast app. Till next time, folks. Thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.